We're good. There we are. Hey, uh, man, it is great to be here. Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, you guys like all the foods that I don't like, probably. Uh, I'm not a big casserole guy. Anybody casserole people in here? Yeah? I don't like my foods to touch. So this week for my entire life has been really awkward. Uh, I have to tell all of you that your favorite things I don't like. So I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Um, I do love you. I just don't like what you like. Um, but uh, we've got a lot of our college students are out this week. I, I asked them to raise their hands if they were coming, the people that were at College Bible Study. And we had two, and I don't even know if those two are here this morning. Um, so pray for them as they're at home, maybe dealing with a difficult situation that they're walking back into, um, or you know, maybe they're trying to learn how to walk out their faith and do it in a context that they haven't done in a while. So um, we've got that, and then we also have uh, two of our people that we prayed for, Lawrence and Caleb, as they were or are in Cambodia. They come home Tuesday through Wednesday, so it's a long trip back. So please be praying for them on their trip back from Cambodia and then reintegrating into uh, life at home. So that sometimes can be hard, uh, and especially coming right before that big meal where they've had three weeks of not eating American food, and they're like, hey, we're in it. We're coming back at the time. So uh, be praying for them. Uh, my name's Andrew, and we are going to be still in Exodus for the next couple of weeks. We're in Exodus 19 for this week and next week, and then we're going to jump into our Advent series uh, to talk about the great joys of Christmas and what that season means for the church. We're going to be in Exodus 19, and then if you want to go ahead and flip, we're also going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2. So those are going to be where we're planted this week. Uh, and as you're, as you're flipping there, I'm going to pray and uh, just kind of try to prepare our hearts for today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your great love for us, for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for not leaving this world dead, um, not leaving this world and just abandoning it like you could have because of the sin that's in it. But Lord, you came and you've chosen to redeem pain and heartache. And so, Lord, we get to see in Exodus today one of those times where you come and you reveal yourself to your people. So, Lord, I pray that as we encounter that through your word today, that uh, you would meet us, that you would comfort us, that you would bring us peace and joy and teach us to be your royal priesthood to those around us. We love you and we praise you. And it's in your son Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. All right, Exodus 19, so we're just going to dive in here. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. I'm going to pause right there. 
We talked, we've talked about the deliverance from Egypt probably for the last, feels like 20 weeks, maybe some more. But this is, this is the, the climax of what has happened, right? So he says, I am bringing you to myself. That is why Israel was saved from Egypt. Not so that they didn't have to be slaves anymore. Not so that their lives could be easier or because God just wanted them out of Egypt, but for the sole purpose to bring them to Himself. It's the same reason why God delivers us from our sin, it's to bring us to Himself, not so that we can get better at our jobs, receive money, become good moral agents in the world and vote for the right party. God redeems people to bring them to Himself. And there's a lot that flows out of that. But if we lose sight of the fact that God saves people so that He can know you and commune with you, we've lost sight of what's really going on. God wants relationship and to be intimately involved in your life, to introduce us to joy and hope, peace that surpasses understanding. So, why did God save Israel? To bring them to Himself. We even saw that in, when Moses was going to Pharaoh. He said, let my people go, right? That's the part that gets the movies. That's the part that gets the songs, the camp songs everybody knows, right? But what's the next part? Does anybody know? Let my people go so that we can go worship our God. That is the purpose of redemption, so that they can meet, commune, be with their God. So for you, if you have been brought out of your sin because you know you have the knowledge that Jesus Christ has died for your sin to redeem you from sin, it is so that you have relationship to be brought near to God, not for any other reason. That is first and foremost, that you would know God and know Him more. Verse 5 in Exodus 19, now therefore, if, so this is covenant language, right? So, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak, shall speak to the people of Israel. So we have the, the if, right? That if there's an if, there's a then, right? And so, the, if the if is if you obey, which is the same word here, is listen. Anybody have kids in here in the room? Like, don't you wish that, listen, yeah, there's dad, hey. Uh, so, if you obey, if obey and listen were like caught more as the same word, we would have a lot less trouble in our life, right? 
Like if every single time that you heard an instruction and you obeyed that instruction 100% of the time, you'd be in a much better space, right? Yeah, I think that, that's something that I just think is interesting. Uh, obey and listen, being the same word, my voice, and keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession, uh, my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. What do you think it means to be the treasured possession of God? For Israel, this meant that they knew that Yahweh was the one true God, that He was above all other gods, above all nations. They knew that He was one God, that there wasn't like God of Israel, and then He only cares about us and our people, and then He was okay with the God of Egypt to do that thing with their people, right? That He says that all the earth is mine. He's not dividing it up among other gods for them to have control. He says, all the earth is mine, but you, Israel, are my special treasured possession. He takes personal ownership over these specific people. And the reason that is, is because they are called to be a kingdom of priests. I think there might be some language here that we need to break down. Because when we think priests, we think about that church that meets up on the square the Catholic Church. We think priests, we think there's a wall, and there's you, the confessor, and on the other side, there's this priest, and you tell them your sins. It's like, that's not the idea of priest that we're talking about here. The idea of priest being that which is the representative of God on earth, and the representative for earth back to God. That's what it means to be a priest. A priest is someone who goes and is the mediator of this covenant, this uh, character of God to be given to the people and for the people to be shown to God in an honest and true way. Does that make sense of what a priest is? It's not some guy sitting behind a wall but it is the representation of God on earth. He's not ashamed of these people. He calls them treasured. He calls them a kingdom of priests. He calls them a holy nation, a group of people set apart from common use. That these people are supposed to have a unique and different role from everyone else on earth. So verse 7 says, Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. In verse 8, this is critical for us to hear. This is what the people said. They answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses went back to God. Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. So the people say yes to this if-then statement, right? If you obey, if you listen, then you will be my kingdom of priests. The people say, yeah, we're in. We are good to go, God. We want to be your holy people. We want to be your treasured nation. We want to be a kingdom of priests. 
they are committing to bringing the commands of God to the earth. They are committing to doing that as a connection to the promise of Abraham, right, so that they can bless the nations around them. Guess what? They failed. Yeah, big surprise, right? <laughs> like, if we've been following the Israel story, we know there's going to be really great peaks where they're like, yeah, we're in it. And then there's low lows where they say, no, we're, we've messed up. They failed. And this was offered to all the people in Israel. Every person in Israel was offered to be this priestly role, a kingdom of priests. They relinquished themselves from that privilege, not just a responsibility, but like literally a privilege so that they could be the people that showed God to the world. And because of their sin, literally, like as Moses is walking back down the mountain, that we're going to see it here in a few weeks, they've given that privilege up. So over the history of Israel, uh, God moves that responsibility down to smaller groups of people, right? So if you've read Leviticus, you think about who the, that group of people was, that's the priests of Israel. They were all supposed to be priests, and then they all messed up and said, okay, let's, let's try this again. Let's do a little bit of a smaller group of people, the Levites. Y'all be the priests for your nation, for the world. And they fail. And it just continues. The people are too wicked. They can't listen and obey. Even the greatest servant, Moses, has that sin problem. And then one man, one promised man, fulfills this role, this priest king, Jesus, to be the priest to the nations. He keeps the commandments to love God, love others. He's not just a priest, but also the sacrifice. Not just a sacrifice, but also a king from the tribe of Judah, saying that it is, he is the representative for the whole nation. Not just for his little group, but as king of Judah, of Israel, he is the one who can fulfill law in promise. And it's why it's so important that as we look into Advent, knowing who Jesus is and where he came from, the reason of his lineage that it's recorded in the Gospels, this is why it's important. Because Jesus is, isn't just stepping out of some weird non-rule-following thing and saying, like, all right, now I'm going to be the Messiah. It's like he's following the law as it should be, being from the right family and doing it uh, as we've read in Hebrews before, from the order of Melchizedek. I encourage you as you go home, if you've got some downtime, uh, to think about and to read and study the importance of what it means for Jesus to be from the order of Melchizedek. It would be really fun as you uh, dive into the Christmas season uh, and prepare your hearts for who, he, who Jesus is. But he's the one person who does the role of priest that was offered to all of Israel, he does it right. And he does it. He represents 
man to God, and he represents God to man. That's the role of the priest, to represent man to God and God to man. And what's really cool is that we have this, this letter that's reflecting what happens in Exodus 19, but it is for us post-cross, post-resurrection in 1 Peter chapter 2. And it's going to sound really familiar, I hope. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 says this, but you, believers, Jesus people, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. A chosen race, a, a selected group of people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Is that sounding familiar to what God uh, allowed for the people of Exodus to have? In God giving Israel and now Christians the opportunity to be a royal priesthood, this is a restoration of humanity's ultimate purpose when God created them. Right? This is our original purpose. We're made in the image of God, literally to imitate, to image Him on earth. He gave that mission and promise to Abraham to be someone through that covenant relationship with God that his lineage would bless the nations. That priestly role is also because, like, think about this, right? If you know God, if you are with God in relationship and you are speaking to God, when you step out and you speak to people who don't know God, that should, you should be blessing those people because God is with you, right? So as you walk with God, the people that you come into contact with, is bless, you are blessing them. At least you should be, right? Be, be someone who is working out God's redemptive plan. And through this, we're connecting all the way back to Abraham, that God would bless the nations through this people. The Branch Church and all local churches around us should be priestly outposts of God. Like an embassy in another country where we leave and we go and we represent God to other people. We're called to represent our communities also to God in prayer, right? It's not just about representing God to those around us, but the role of the priest is to take the people that God has given us in our life and to take them back to God. Right? This is what Israel was called to do, was to show God to the nations and then pray to God that they would become part of Israel. As we saw the last two weeks, Jethro was the priest of Midian, a priest, yes, but not to Yahweh at first. Right? He was a priest of other gods. 
And as he relates with these people who were proclaiming the excellencies of God, they were talking about the stories of Egypt being smashed by Yahweh. And a man, because of them proclaiming the excellencies of God around them, he came and he saw who the one true God was. And Jethro, not an Israelite, welcomed into the family of God because they were doing what they were called to do and representing God to the nations, to this Midianite man who then left, goes back to Midian, and hopefully does the same exact thing, that he represents God to those people. Um, and so if we want, I want to echo what Stephen's been saying about us regaining and recapturing our love for planting churches uh, in the surrounding areas that we're in. Um, when we think about planting a church in Dawsonville or Asheville, we need to think about it as we are setting up another outpost of priests, another group of people going to represent God to that community, and for them to plead on behalf of that community to God and ask them to save their souls, asking God to do the work, the redemptive work that He does so well. Verse 9 of Exodus 19, sorry, back, back into Exodus. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, may also believe you forever. I love that God does this, that he announces that he's coming so these people don't die, right? Because God's presence coming in, like, that's a boom. That's a huge grace that he would announce that he's on his way. And he tells them this, and then he also tells them, uh, he gives them some warning, right? When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all people, and you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him. But he shall be stoned or shot, whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they, can, they, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people, consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. God in his kindness gives warning to them of his power, his might, and his holiness. He gives themselves the opportunity to cleanse, cleanse themselves uh, and to, before he, they meet him in his presence so that when they saw him, they wouldn't run to him and be destroyed because of their sin. He sets up boundaries so that they could see from a distance his holiness and his power. And he invites Moses to come up. But he says, consecrate yourselves. If they don't, if they don't set themselves apart as this holy nation, they, they ruin it for the rest of the nations. Right? They don't get 
to experience God's presence and God's interaction with them if they all run to this mountain and die because of God's holiness and their sin. So he says, consecrate yourselves, clean yourselves, because I am about to, I'm about to make you different. So he says, be holy. If you will live set apart, if you will obey my voice, you will be set apart and you will represent me in this world. But it starts with that first command of set yourselves apart, consecrate yourselves. Similarly, for us, we have read, uh, be holy as I am holy. Anybody know that Bible verse? What's really cool about for those of us that have faith in Jesus is that God has declared us righteous. He's declared us holy. And then he asks us and commands us to be holy as God is holy. So he commands us to be holy, but he says, I've already made you holy. Now walk in that holiness. Walk in that different kind of life, that life that imitates God. He does that for us because it is what is best for us. It is pure and it is good and it is the life that leads to abundance of joy and peace and hope when we live in right relationship with God. And when we live knowing that we are in need of repentance, that we are in need of, uh, of always taking our life to God as a sacrifice. Live a consecrated life. As Christians, if you have put your faith in Christ, God has set you apart already. Now live into that set-apart life. Without living in a set-apart life, you will not be able to bless those around you because you're not imaging God to those around you. And as priests, as a royal priesthood, you have been called to live a life that blesses those, that represents God to those around you. And He's always helping us and making us more like Himself. You're not alone in that process. But don't, don't, don't neglect your sanctification as God is making you more like Himself. We get this in 1 Peter 2 again, uh, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That is what it means for us as Christians to live into that promise that Israel failed at, is to be priests that represent God so that when people look at us from the outside, they see our good deeds and they glorify God in heaven. Like we said earlier, it's exactly what happened with Jethro. Because when, they, when Israel, they saw what Israel was doing, 
I said, it can't be you guys. You guys are messed up. It must be the God that you're following. So they see the good deeds of the people and say, it's not you. It must be him. So that they would turn and glorify our God in heaven. And this is exactly what Jesus did for us. He showed us God perfectly. He was the image of the invisible God, as the scriptures say. If you want to know how God acts, what he does, look at Jesus. Not only did he perfectly show us the character of God, he represented us perfectly to God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, He who knew no sin became sin. As our priest, he took our sin and he showed it to God and God dealt with it accordingly. The wrath of God on sin was laid on Jesus. 1 John 2, 1 John 2, 2 says that he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus represented us to God, and he still does that as our high priest. As we take our prayers to Christ, Christ represents us to the Father, and that way our prayers are heard. Because Jesus is interceding for us. He takes all of our needs to the Father, and He has also declared that we too are priests, royal priests in this world. As we take the things of this world to Him, He takes them to the throne room of heaven. And what I think this world, this generation really needs to hear is that Jesus has given the role of the priest not just to pastors and elders or even deacons, but to everyone who calls on the name of Jesus. Every single one of us are priests to God in worship and for those around us in prayer. So, we are a kingdom of priests. Israel was not the last generation of failed priests. Right? You, the branch church in Dahlonega, for this season, are a kingdom of priests. If you say that Jesus is Lord, you're a priest. Welcome. It's a responsibility and a privilege to represent God to our neighbor and to re represent our neighbor to God. So as you go and eat around the table this week, as you go home maybe to a harder situation where you're the, maybe you're the only believer in your household, represent God well. Don't quarrel. Don't get into meaningless fights. Love well. Represent God to them. And then, after you leave that hard table, go home, get on your knees in prayer, and represent those people that are at that table back to God. Ask them, ask God to save their souls so that they too can become a part of this royal priesthood. I love you guys. 
I really, I, I know we, I just talked for like an hour. It feels like I talked for an hour. But I really want you to know that you are loved by God, that he cares for you, that he wants you to cast all your anxieties on him, that he desires relationship with you and with the whole world. So as we go and celebrate that relationship at the table today, remember the great sacrifice that he, as our priest, represented God to us and that he greatly represented us to God. He showed God all of your flaw, every ounce of your sin, none of it unforgiven, all of it laid down in front of God. And God dealt with it already. His wrath completely poured out on Jesus for you. So remember that as you go to the table and dip the bread in the juice, remember that Jesus is our propitiation, our great high priest, and then go and do the same for the world. Let me pray. Lord, uh, thank you for your goodness, your mercy, that you lived a consecrated life when we don't, that you are holy and great and greatly to be praised, and we are not. Lord, thank you for being the perfect priest, the perfect sacrifice. Lord, teach us to walk in your ways, that we would be a priestly people for the city of Dahlonega. Lord, I pray that you would recapture our heart to be a people that represents you well to the world. Lord, and remind us that when we are bringing our requests to you, not to be selfish, but Lord, to be like you in prayer. That we would take the needs and requests of others to you. That we would take their greatest need to you. And Lord, I pray for this, the salvation of people in this city. that you would convict people of their sin, of their imperfection. And God, that you would bring them into your family through your son, Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.